Hello and welcome back to Undiscovered. And if you didn't get that, that was Welcome Back to Undiscovered by Jamie in a very ADHD way because today I decided, you know what? It's okay if you're not productive. We're not going to take the ADHD medicine because crazy creative Jamie needs to have her fun today. And that is okay. Today's episode is one that I personally have been preparing for since probably the day I started this podcast because I just knew that this was going to be one of probably my first 10 guests and thank God she agreed. I am such a big fan of her and she is the person that I honestly think of when I think about being vulnerable and authentic on social media and pioneering that even though we get into that and I know she doesn't want to take credit for that but she is kind of who pioneered it for me and that that's what matters okay so our guest today is Quigley Goody aka officially Quigley as you may know her on Instagram she is a full-time content creator stylist educator founder of the social media that's social media which is how you put soul back in social media she is a singer songwriter music producer mother wife real life Barbie everything everywhere all at once and one of the first people that I think of when I imagine the kind of social media content I want to consume She inspired me to be more vulnerable and truthful on these platforms, and as she would say, she's my bestie in my brain. So please enjoy Quigley Goody. Welcome. Are you ready to get undiscovered? (laughs) I think I already am undiscovered, but I'm ready to get extra undiscovered. Also, I think we're just like two peas in a pod, me and you. Talk to me. That really, really, that really resonates. (laughs) Um, no, but actually I had a comment on one of my TikToks that went viral that was like, she has spent 10 years trying to get famous and she's still not famous. I it, it was a, so happy. It was a moment no. for me. It was a real, I just, I'm going to frame it and print it out and just like put it on my wall. I don't know if you know this, but I... Well, I don't know why you would know this, because if you did know this, that would be assuming that I'm more relevant than I am, which is the whole point of this conversation. But um, you just made me love you like even more with that, because you know that snark page, L.A. influencer snark. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If you guys don't know, it's an entire Reddit page dedicated to just shitting on influencers who put themselves out there. I'm just going to leave that. I'm not going to comment on it because it speaks for itself. The one time that someone mentioned my name, which I was so excited about. I was like, oh my God, I don't, any publicity is good publicity, right? Of course it was not good publicity. And they said, oh my God, I feel like this girl is just so desperate to be famous. The exact same comment. And I was like looking at it and I'm like, oh my God, you're so right. (laughs) Well, honestly, it's kind of a weird one, right? Because at the same time, it's completely correct. Mm -hmm. Like it's correct, but also it hurts Mm-hmm. You know, and it hurts because it's like, it feels true. Yes, I've been out here trying to be famous, quote unquote, for mm-hmm. a long time. And there's shame there, right? Yeah, me too. There's shame there. Like, you're literally just saying, oh, yes, this person has been existing and making mm-hmm. art and still going, still at it, still creating. Why should I feel shame in that? Like, yes, I started on American Idol when I was a child 
and I'm no longer a child. I'm a fucking grown woman and I'm still grinding. So how is that a bad thing? I'm still putting myself out there. How, why do I immediately feel shame? I think it's something that a lot of people who put themselves out there deal with. I was literally having this conversation with one of my friends the other day. When people see other people genuinely believing in themselves, almost to the point of delusion, it's like you're angry because you're watching that person advocate for themselves for 10 plus years. And is that something that's being reflected to you that you find you have a hard time doing? Probably. And I think there's like shame around that because we've probably been labeled as narcissistic, selfish. Okay, you want to know something really? So first of all, narcissism (laughs) is a real clinical disorder. And I am borderline narcissistic. Also, there's no shame in that. Like if you are a narcissist, that is a clinical disorder and it's okay. Wait, please tell me about that. Well, okay. It's actually not as interesting as it sounds, but earlier this year I did a eight hour test with a psychologist based in LA to figure out if I had ADHD because I've been curious about that for a while and curious just with a lot of the misdiagnosis in in young women with ADHD and with my anxiety and depression. I was thinking that maybe that some of that might have come from not being diagnosed with ADHD, if that makes sense. I wanted to like really dive into that and do it the right way. So my psychiatrist Mm -hmm. referred me to um, this place in LA and I went in for this like eight hour long testing day to see if I had any like neurodivergencies. And turns out I actually was like, it could be anything in my head. I'm always trying to figure out what's wrong with me. So I'm like, what could it be? Am I bipolar? Am I, you know, am I autistic? Like I have kind of for a long time felt that I wanted to just know. I was curious. And um, it was really cool. Like doing the testing definitely made me realize some of my strengths, some of my weaknesses, but I am technically not considered neurodivergent. Um, And the results were mild ADHD with a touch of narcissism, which I thought was really interesting. I think that's really interesting because I do think there's a big difference between narcissistic tendencies and the disorder. But what does it mean for you to have those tendencies or be borderline? Personally, I think that I like I do have narcissistic tendencies, but I think I was diagnosed in that way because of my unwavering faith in myself and my delusions of grandeur in the sense that like I genuinely believe that I can do anything obviously there are times where I'm like beating up on myself and my relationship with myself isn't great but if I have like a really spiritually connected mindset about me like I believe that I'm untouchable which some people think is fucking crazy and it sounds a little bit manic but I just genuinely believe that in my core. And I believe that for every human. It's not just me. How does that play in every day? How does that play in relationships? It's really tricky um, in my personal relationships. And that's a little bit of the ADHD too, because it's so hard to focus on things that you end up only being able to focus on yourself a lot of the time. Or at least that's mine, my experience. Yeah. I'm curious about this, at least for myself, because I have intense ADHD. And a lot of times I'll be like accidentally pissing people off because I'm desperately trying to 
finish the thing that I've been trying to finish for the past seven years for myself, but it's always rolled over to the next day. Or like, I am missing like some really obvious shit where people are like, do you pay attention? And I'm like, sometimes I'm just floaty and I can't, I can't pay attention and I can't explain to you why I missed this obvious thing. Mm-hmm. But to label that as narcissism feels like, so I don't want to do that to like the little girl in me that's just trying to survive. Right. And and that's why I'm like, I try my best to compartmentalize because there are tendencies of like ADHD that don't allow me to focus on other people's needs and and things. And that's out of my control. And I just can do my best to have like empathy for my own situation there. Um, but I think it's also just in, with relationships, it's like learning about the way that mm-hmm. my brain works discussing that with my husband Mm -hmm. because it's so it's so like not fathomable to him yes that I can forget certain details that are so important or like just not think of his perspective in certain scenarios it's so unfathomable but like as we're kind of discovering the way that my brain works and learning new things about each other he's become more understanding and more flexible I guess in the relationship it's just been, it's been a journey. I mean, the relationship conversation is like, where do we even begin? You posted on social media the other day, which, by the way, above all, I just want to say, like, when I think of vulnerability on social media, I don't know who started it, but in my head, it was you. Like, you were the pioneer of, and I'm not even joking, like, 2016 aesthetic Barbie dream girl all of a sudden becomes a real girl. Like you straight up Pinocchio'd social media. Okay. Oh. So you're going to make me cry. <laughs> the one event that changed the course of my life was your launch event for social media, which, if you don't know what social media is, we're going to get into that. It's a course on how to bring soul into social media, which I think was absolutely brilliant, by the way. Thank you. I went to that launch event and I met Casey, who became my life coach for the next few years, who was your life coach, who helped you launch it. And by the transitive property, you just changed my life. (laughs) I could cry. I'm honored because I admire you so much. And I'm the work that you're doing, not only as a creator, but as a storyteller, as an artist is Mm -hmm. just like so unique. And I'm so proud of you. Thank you. I'm so proud of you. I honestly feel like I've been watching what you've been doing for years being like, one day I'll do that. And like watching just some of the selfies of you crying has genuinely, I don't think, I don't think we even realize it, but I would go back even in moments where I was feeling so down about social media and your posts would just help humanize the experience. Mm -hmm. Even if in the moment it didn't even touch me, it's like, I'll go back when I'm in that place and I'll watch something you've posted and I'll be like, oh, thank God I'm not alone. I loved your post yesterday. And by the time I post this, this will probably have been two weeks ago. But (laughs) walk us through your post because you talk about not knowing if your marriage was going to make it, which I really appreciate you saying because that's likely true for so many couples. And it's the part of social media that we never see or hear about. And we live in a time where social media is like, go and climb up Mount Everest with your fiance and eat pizza and everything's dandy. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do a little expectation versus reality. Like walk us through relationships. What did you expect when you first met Alex? And what is your reality of marriage now? So Alex and I have been together since, oh my God, it's almost 12 years. I think in November will be our 12 year of like being together. Holy shit. It's been a long time. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I think my expectations going into our relationship in general was just I needed to be around him. I just wanted to be close to him. I didn't care in what capacity, honestly. I just wanted to spend time with him. So very early on in our relationship, uh, Alex's dad was killed. And going through the trauma of losing his dad uh, was something that, you know, really bonded us together as humans in the aftermath, um, but also like fucked us up. (laughs) So we both dealt with our grief in different ways. But it did allow us to reach out and seek help from a couple's therapist very early on in our relationship. We actually started seeing our therapist together before we got married. I think that's brilliant. How long into the relationship did you guys experience this? That was probably like our third year. That his dad died? Yeah. Wow. We actually had just moved into our first apartment together. You know, it shook our worlds and it also shook our perspectives just like on life and what we wanted. And I think it really expedited that need for comfort and security that we found in each other. And we got married. Uh, We actually got married on my father-in-law's 70th birthday. It would have been his 70th birthday. So it was really special. I think I remember you posting about that. Yeah. That being said, though, I think when you experience trauma with a partner in a relationship, it can really jar you. Before we became parents, we had already gone through so many chapters in our relationship of highs and lows. And after the wedding was kind of like when we first really were able to focus on ourselves again and focus on our careers. And that's kind of when we had our like chapter of we're going to travel the world and make cool Mm -hmm. content and take all the photos and do all the things. And we definitely sort of like rode the wave of the first Instagram creator, you know, revolution. (laughs) I mean, we were there. We're at the forefront. I mean, like that person on your TikTok said, like, you've been trying for 10 years. She's been at it. (laughs) Yep. We were just, we were, I specifically was chasing this like idealistic life and I just got validation and praise from it. Like the better I did, the more I did, the more outlandish the location, the more beautiful Mm -hmm. the photography, the more likes and the more followers. And it was this system of like dopamine hits that um, I became addicted to. You know, we all did. I always think of the metaphor. I mean, this is a little extreme, but I'm like, how different are we from gambling addicts? Sometimes yeah, it feels to me that I'm just waiting to hit the lottery every single day and the lottery being the explore page and the crazier mm. things that you do, like go to these outlandish locations, the more likely you are for the explore page to be like, actually, now you're worthy. Now you're worthy. Now you're worthy. Yeah, and it's, you're, ga- you're gambling with your soul. <laughs> exactly. You're gambling with your soul. I also think it's interesting, like the fact that you guys experienced death so early on because I lost my nana recently and that was my first experience like actually seeing somebody in front of me take their last breath and it almost feels to me that there was a me before that experience and a me after so do you feel like there was you individually and you as a couple before and after and like what was the difference I mean 100 percent um it's similar to the transition of becoming a parent like it's the you before it's the you after I will say like I also recently lost my grandma and um, Mm -hmm. that experience for me, just because I've known her my whole life, like I I knew my father-in-law for less than two years. So it was not 
traumatic in the sense that like it was my loss, right? I was experiencing the loss adjacent, but with my grandma having known her my entire life and even my cat. I lost my cat this year. Don't even get me started. My grandma, I wasn't there present, but my I held my cat when he took his last breath and that was fucking hard. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely think loss moves you in weird ways, um, unexpected ways. And it also doesn't hit you in a linear fashion too, right? There's like the immediate anger, sadness, but then there are waves that come and go, you know, as you mm-hmm. process all of it. Yeah. Do you feel like traveling and riding the early social media wave like was that a coping mechanism for a lot of the trauma that you guys experienced 100 percent, because success in any way shape or form is distraction you know and work work is distraction oh from having to deal with the sh- the scary shit um mm-hmm. So we're trying to close that chapter of our lives so desperately, trying to move on and experience life to the fullest, really. Mm -hmm. And I think we did that. Like, I'm not trying to shit on that era because I learned so much in that time period. Um, And as much as I reached, you know, burnout and exhaustion and I like my levels of anxiety were higher than they'd ever been. I was also learning so much about myself in the process, Um, Mm -hmm. who I wanted to be and who I didn't want to be. And I think that that was the big wake up call for me was that there was a point where even though I was doing amazing, I was still looking at other people thinking they're doing better. And how do I get to be like them rather than how, how do I dig deep and like find my own special sauce um, and bring that out of me in my own way, it was still like me trying to do better and be better. Mm -hmm. And so I actually, I wanted to share this with you because even though in your head, like you feel like I'm the first to be vulnerable, I, (laughs) I had, I had somebody that I looked up to very early on who like inspired me to do that. And um, her name is Becca Tilly. I need to follow her. I've heard about, I've heard a lot about her and I just thank you for being the person to remind me because I feel like I've seen her on the explore page. Okay. Okay. So Becca was on the bachelor years ago and I'm a, it's my guilty pleasure, man. I fucking love the bachelor. And I watched her season. I started following her on her season and I thought she was cool on her season, but don't get me wrong. Like I thought she just seemed and came across as very young. But then after I started following her on Instagram, I was like, whoa, this girl's like way more depth than they showed on the show. Way mm-hmm. more interesting and just such a beautiful soul. And this was during the era of, I'm telling you, like the most edited, curated, beautiful, epic photos. Everyone mm-hmm. on social media was living these epic, beautiful lives. And all of a sudden <laughs> in my feed, there's a picture of her wearing no makeup, just a white wall in the background and just like, her face. And she was like, here I am. <laughs> here I am. Like in the age of DSLR, final cut, Lightroom editing to be able to do that. Whoo, I have like secondhand anxiety just imagining. Yeah. And I, and I, at my, at that point in my career, I was like, I could never. Yeah. I could never do something like that. And in my head, I was like, that's it. That shit scares the crap out of me. Not 
not because I am not necessarily comfortable with my face without makeup, but just like, why? Why would I post that? It's not going to get the results that I'm looking for. And then I asked myself, what are the results I'm looking for? Am I looking for people to be super jealous of me and to see my photos and go, dang, I wish I was Quigley? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no. Because I don't like when I feel that way about other people's posts. So why would other people feel great about seeing that like happen to me? I feel like if I'm being totally honest, like in that era, I think I did want people to look at me and and say, God, I wish I was her. Really? And then every single time that I would see other people's posts that made me think, God, I wish I was her. I was like, this feels like shit. And so I'm wanting people to want to be like me because I desperately am also wanting to be like someone else. I'm trying to sort of like heal that the way wrong way. Mm. But when you actually ask yourself the other question of do you want that? Like, is that what your higher self wants or is that what your soul really wants? No, because it was making me feel so bad seeing it across social media. And I love that you just said that because when you have that sort of like wake up call, it's like, all right, so what do you do with that? Yeah. And so what I I think what I did with that moving forward was uh, I just challenged myself to think about the way that I created content differently, right? So I I switched my entire strategy to pulling back the curtain to show the big picture and to explain like the reason behind why I was posting Mm -hmm. and what was going on. Because I fell so hard into this like as an art form and creatively, I think why I... thrived in that environment was just because I'm I consider myself an artist like for me it's the curation of everything from the color of the dress to the way that the light hits the dress to the composition Mm -hmm. of the image that is what got me so excited and it still does but I think most people when they're digesting that imagery they weren't looking at that they were just like this is amazing yeah (laughs) this is amazing Why am I not in Italy in a gown with my husband? <laughs> and trust, like, and the truth was, is that most of those fucking shoots that I would do, that we looked so happy and smiling, we were like, shit, we cannot wait to get in our pajamas and go eat pizza after this. Let me tell you, I would like to know what person who's posting high quality aesthetic content is having a ball doing it because there has never been one singular time where I haven't been miserable. And the second that I get home, I am, you, you can't talk to me. I'm in pajamas and I've postmated food already to my right. door. And it's, and, and I think that's what makes it even more dangerous though, because I, the style of content creation now that is like, you know, the raw and unfiltered, but like still very curated shit. No, I, so fucking dangerous. I want your opinion on photo dumps quickly because let me just let me just tell you my problem with photo dumps. I'm having <laughs> you guys can't see it, but she is laughing off camera. Okay. I made her laugh. <laughs> Here's my issue with photo dumps. I feel like they're almost worse than the high-performing, high-quality content because we're all trying to pretend that we are now living these natural lives and they're still so aesthetic, okay? But it's all under the guise of being authentic. So now it's performative authenticity and it makes me want to chuck my phone at a wall 
I try like whenever I do a photo dump, I have to ask myself these 10 photos, like, are they actually still aesthetic enough to be authentically naturally pretty the, whatever that is we have dug ourselves into such a fucking hole man dude nobody wants to see my dog's slobbery tongue on my toe i do but nobody else wants to see that unless you're like emma chamberlain and i'm not there's only one so yeah she she fucking set the standard in a way that's really even more unattainable in my opinion <laughs> Absolutely. All of a sudden, like the blood on the back of your sock from Fashion Week is curated. Yeah. Like that's aesthetic. So I need your thoughts on photo dumps because I'm struggling. And I'm also like, these 10 photos took me hours. (laughs) Like this, I don't, every single one of these deserves a post, baby. Like, I I just think at the end of the day, it's a trend, right? Which mm -hmm. is fine. And I have a 25 year old assistant who helps me. Stay hip on on the trends. But I have realized that I just, you have to go back to your secret sauce of like what makes you you and what makes you special. And like a photo dump, is that really like reflective of your essence? I don't know. My acting teacher literally says, what's your special sauce? What's your essence? And I'm like, in a lot of ways, showing up on social media, it's, it's a lot of the same sort of thing I find because at the end of the day we we are kind of playing this character version of ourselves oh a hundred percent sometimes I think that maybe if I leaned into that more um I would be better at my job (laughs) you know like what why not create an alter ego that you just like amp everything up unless you're like hurting people's feelings like there's no problem with exaggerating like I'm totally fine with talking about like I will literally tell you the last time I had an orgasm you know what I mean but like yeah the level of shock value that I know that I can get from that, like I'm very aware. I mean, I literally posted an episode the other day that was like, you don't hate makeup, you hate women. And I'm like, I know I'm going to get clicks from that. Sometimes I feel like you kind of got to be a little bit of the exaggerated version of yourself. I'm sorry, it worked for Lady Gaga. Like we have so many examples. Yeah, I it's it's hard because on one hand, you like you don't want to perpetuate the um, clickbait, like shock value type. Right you know, algorithm that we all have to cater to. But at the same point, in order to be heard, you have to be smart. Yeah. Like we can't control the algorithm. No. All we can control is our content. And if we want to be seen or heard and we want to make the impact that we're aiming to make, don't be dumb. It's so interesting too, because I find myself constantly caught between being strategic and being an authentic, quote unquote, good person. And I think A lot of content creators are feeling caught between that where you're like, do I take this brand deal because I need the money, but is it something I actually believe in? Do I post this because this title is clickbaity? Does it actually resonate with me? I also want to talk to this community of people that I want to help feel less alone. Or do I have a podcast guest on that I know is going to get more clicks? And you're like, but I don't want to be the person that's only using you for that. Sometimes I'm like, do we just talk about it like this and be honest about it. You know, like there's two things that can be true. It's like I have you on this podcast because A, I want your fucking people to come to this podcast and B, I fucking love you. And I think what you have to say is so important. And I think the work that you're doing is so important. And like, can we own those both? Yeah, I think we can. I, I mean, we have to. I think the more transparent we are, like you just say it out loud. Yeah. Um, the better it can be. And I've I've done the same thing with my brand deals as well. Mm-hmm. Like I have had 
conversations with my audience about brand deals. Like, hey, which brand deals like do you feel like were aligned with me? Which brand deals do you feel like weren't aligned? Like it, what which of my ads landed with you and which of them were cringe? Like, tell me. That is so brilliant. We're all like learning how to do this. You know, there was no school for being a content creator when I went to college. So we're just pioneering it and figuring out what the F to do. Like, we're all, all of a sudden our own ad agencies and our own marketing agencies and we have to figure out how to produce an entire ad Mm -hmm. and know the psychology behind it, like how it's going to land. Like- what dude it's wild can i just say something and this is totally unrelated but yeah i think it's so cool that we are in an industry where more women have made become like millionaires from being content creators than like any other industry which is amazing it's also scary as fuck because you know many people refer to it as the wild wild west but it's also scary as fuck from a mental health standpoint um and that's what i want to go back to is i know for a fact right now that there is some deep rooted neuro pathways that are being created in all of us who are content creators that are royally fucking us up. Yeah. And there's nothing we can do about it except for fail. Like the only option is either stop your career or mm-hmm. keep buying into the system of being addicted to the likes and the dopamine of of succeeding and making content that people like and that gets exposure. Like there shouldn't there's it's fucked. It's fucked. We're exposed to so much more information than I think our brains were developed to handle. We're comparing ourselves to people we honestly probably should have never known. And we've touched on this, but can you take us back to the moment that you knew you wanted to change your relationship with social media? Because you were the 2016 riding the early wave of content creation quote unquote, perfect relationship, perfect girl. You said you saw Becca Tilly, but like, what was that actual moment where you're like, I'm going to do something different? And what was the first post? How did people respond? That must have been so scary. You know, it was, but I noticed that if I showed up in that way and I really shared what was on my heart, that it also got attention. (laughs) And that's where I think it gets dangerous because on the one hand, it's like, yo, I just, I I found a solve, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I found a solve for like, I can't possibly travel anymore and I can't keep spending money on this content. Like (laughs) I was so burnt out and I was crying all the time because I was so tired and I was like, well, I got to figure out how to get these likes somehow. And it's wild because that sounds so terrible and so strategic, but in hindsight, that's how I'm processing it. In the moment, I was like, I just want to share what's on my heart. But now I'm like, dang, I just fell into another trap. God. It's kind of how I feel. I fell into this another trap of like, well, now I have to pour my soul into every post. Uh, Before I could just pour my art into it. But now I like got into this other paradigm where I was like, every post has to be more vulnerable and more authentic and more, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like everything had to be so deep that that emotional taxing mm-hmm. element that I then incorporated into my content was just as hard, if not harder, than attaining perfection. You were kind of attaining perfection on this different side of the same coin. Yeah. How can I be perfectly vulnerable? Yeah. And honestly, you're kind of blowing my mind right now because even after writing these you know, letters to my younger self, like I never had a plan to make that a series, but all of a sudden it got so much engagement that I was like, 
okay, I better write to myself for the rest of my fucking life. (laughs) Yep. And yes, if I'm honest, like knowing that there is that undercurrent of, but I want this to perform. It's like, yes, I want to make people feel less alone and I want to be famous and I want to get a lot of money and likes. And it's like, yo, is that okay? Can we want that and still be good people? It's, I think that what, I'm asking you, am I a good person? I think you're a really good person. I think you're a beautiful person. And I think that you have an amazing heart and soul. And I think that so much of social media is hard because I think it's the, and I'll go back to this, but I do think that there's a level of sexism involved with people not being okay with women making money. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And they, you know, you see these beautiful women, you know, advertising products and people get mad about it. Mm-hmm. I think that there's this level of just the patriarchy, just like so embedded into like not being okay with social media and finding everything that they can do to make it shallow. So I just think that people like you and I who are willing to show the big picture and to share the ups and downs and the journeys and to really build trust and respect with our audience, we're hopefully changing that stigma so that future generations don't have to feel bad. I've talked to so many Gen Zs that are like, we don't give a fuck. Like we are using this. Yeah. Like we are using this platform. We are, we are owning our TikToks. We don't give a fuck what people think if we're putting ourselves out there. And what I love that energy. Me too. I think there's a lot of guilt with millennials. And I don't think we need to feel guilty. Gen Z is kind of like that generation that's sort of breaking out of so many of these patterns. Like I didn't even really understand patriarchy or feminism. It was something that I remember laughing at in high school because it was almost like any woman who talked about feminism, we kind of like scuffed off. Like even women. I look back on that and it was just coming from like a lot of feeling uneducated about what was going on. And I feel like when it comes to like Gen Z, they're like, yeah, this is just the way of the world and there's nothing wrong with me for utilizing it. Whereas because we were sort of like the first adopters, quote unquote, of social media, not saying you and I, but like our generation, the shame that you were talking about at the very beginning of this episode, it's like, no, but there's something wrong with you for believing in yourself so much that you didn't go to the traditional nine to five and you thought you could do this on your own. I think for me, the really interesting way to look at it is that we had this obsession with reality TV before social media, right? Mm -hmm. And it was something that sold. So people, there was this, you know, whole generation of whether it was like uh, real world or the hills, those kinds of shows already existed. So there was this formula for, oh, if you show, you know, the public what it's like a day in the life of somebody who lives in Laguna Beach, like, oh, people are going to be interested. And so when social media came, you know, around, the individual human could create their own reality TV show. And some of us were really good at it because we majored in journalism. (laughs) You know what I mean? And, Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that people are very quick to assume that creators are just like kind of dumb and stumble upon it. And maybe some people do, but other people work really hard to like get the skills and the tool sets that they needed to create interesting content half of us who are content creators women i mean we're we're just the full embodiment of taylor swift's mastermind song exactly 
I do think it's funny that like just now we're going, especially after Barbie, we're all of a sudden loving on Taylor Swift and all of the, everything she did to actually believe in herself to like make it as a singer. She's my best friend in my brain. I admire her for so many fucking reasons and I can't wait to tell her to her face someday and I know I will. Yeah, because you're delusionally positive and mm-hmm. <laughs> have a delusional belief in yourself. Mm-hmm. I think with the whole reality TV, there's that, um, I think, meme or reel that was going around saying Paris Hilton was like the original influencer. Yeah. Right. And we had no respect for her at the time. And now everyone's like, oh, my God, she was a genius. And it's like, yeah, thank you for waking up. 100 percent. Talk about a character. Yeah, that was manufactured for sure. I also think it's interesting because just as an actor being in that industry, like I wonder if sometimes we think that women who have TV and film credits underneath their belts are a higher caliber artist than a social media content creator because who's controlling the industry? It's all white men above the age of probably 50. Yes. Majority. Who's controlling social media? The gays, theys, and women. Mm -hmm. And who have we been sold the lie that we need approval from? Yeah. The men. Yeah. Yeah. Men. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I left the music industry because I felt so much more empowered because I felt like I was in control of my art Mm -hmm. with social media. Like I could put out whatever I wanted with being a musician, like after American Idol, obviously that was, I was a little pawn in a huge system there, but definitely Mm -hmm. coming to LA and like doing all the writing sessions that I did afterwards and sort of realizing that if I wanted to be a musical artist, my art had to be vetted and approved by all the men in the room who wanted to fucking sleep with me like I had to make them like me like it was so (laughs) fucked up I was like I'm out did that happen on American Idol too or did that happen like post American Idol so with American Idol I went on the show um really thinking that I was doing a singing competition and like (laughs) the entire (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. I auditioned too, actually, when I was in high school. I did not make it. Keep going. (laughs) I'm happy for you. I mean, the show itself, I didn't feel like sexism necessarily during the show. It was just the way that the media perceived me. Right. So like my whole narrative was, oh, we revealed these shocking photos of her in a bikini on TMZ. Like, oh, this girl, she's she's hot, but she can also sing. And it was (laughs) like. My complete narrative as like a young woman from Minnesota who really loved music and wanted to be a singer was taken from me because it was just crafted into this like, oh, no, she's a sexy body and she's a scandalous young girl who did these bikini photos. She's just a scandal. Like it was just so disturbing that like that was the way that I was presented to the world outside of my control. Yeah. And so that happened on Idol. And it took me a lot of years to uncover and like heal from that experience because I held so much fucking shame around that. I used to love my body. Mm-hmm. I, I loved my body when I was 19. I had just gotten boobs. Like through puberty, I had one boob, (laughs) fully one boob. So by the time I got to be 19 and I did this like bikini calendar for breast cancer research, I was like, this is amazing. I'm so hot now. And I felt so good about my body. And the minute I saw those photos like on TMZ, I was like, well, I'm a fucking slut. And I did that for attention because I'm disgusting. You know what I mean? 
Like that's how I felt. No, but I think that's like the gaslighting of culture, right? Because that wasn't the narrative, but then they were like, actually your reality isn't true and here's your new narrative. And all of a sudden you start believing that that was actually your intention was to be quote unquote hot for men and slutty. Yeah. And then I went into like my early 20s. And when I came to LA, like I completely changed my style. Like I stopped, like I literally would wear little boys t-shirts and like button up shirts so that no one could see my boobs or think that I was trying to use my body to like get ahead in the world. Wow. Like I was very conscious of it. Yeah. You have to work extra hard so that people actually believe that you are capable and worthy beyond just being a pretty face and body. Well, yeah. And then I mean, that's not even to go into the relationships that I had early on with with male producers yeah. in L.A. It was it was just pretty messed up. And I don't want to go in in depth, but I was n- not there for it. My one of my best friends left the music industry for the exact same reasons is all I will say on that. Look, it's really effed up because you're expected and I actually if there's anything I want to do in my life. And I know I want to do a lot of things, but I really hope I can start a school or like invest in a school for female producers because the Mm -hmm. fact that like women and girls, I will actually say like girls who are want to be musicians are just escorted to L.A. and thrown into the rooms and like told to be vulnerable, like making music is a vulnerable, intimate process. And the fact that you have to do that in a room with another male that you barely know and you just met, like, of course that's going to lead to weird shit. Mm-hmm. You're also telling them the deepest, darkest secrets of your Parts entire of your life. Heart. Yeah. I mean, a lot of those men would take that deep shit and then they turn it around and they're like, now I have control over you because I know this and you gave me your heart. It's like Scientology. Yeah, it's it's bad. And, I, and I'm not trying to shit on male producers. Like, I do think that there are amazing, amazing artists out, Always, out yeah. there and there are the good ones. But unfortunately, like, the bad ones... It's just fucking twisted, man. Like it's yeah, it's really hard. We're going to do a quick expectation versus reality thing. And I'm going to give you some topics and you're going to walk me through it. Okay. Motherhood and parenting. Expectations <laughs> for motherhood is that it's going to be the most cosmically moving thing you've ever experienced. And actually, that's the truth. It is the most cosmically mind altering, body altering experience that you can go through. I think that the magnitude though of how it affects your body is something that I really did not anticipate. I anticipated this like emotional connection with this being, but until you experience what it's like being with another person 24/7 and being responsible for them, you don't understand the like toll that it will take on your body. And the for me the recovery period is like just now coming to a close three years after I had him. Wow. Do you feel like, cause you said you struggled with postpartum depression. Like how did you know that that was what it was and how did you navigate? So my great, great grandmother was institutionalized for postpartum depression. Wow. And this is something that I had known my entire life. I knew that, um, my great grandma, Grandma Quigley, (laughs) had Mm -hmm. taken care of um, her siblings because her mom was not available. Like she was Mm -hmm. literally in a hospital. Um, So I knew that that ran in my family. And so because of that, I was very aware that that could be something that could happen to me. And I had actually just gone on medication for my anxiety and depression the month that I got pregnant. 
And so uh, I was just talking really in depth with my psychiatrist and my obstetrician to see what the best route for me was. And I stayed on Zoloft throughout my pregnancy. And postpartum, I actually increased my dosage, which saved me, I think, in a lot of ways from going, you know, off uh, the deep end. But I also think it really numbed me in a lot of ways. I'm actually right now weaning myself off of Zoloft because I did feel like, I mean, I lost my orgasm. That's like a whole nother podcast episode. The orgasm completely died from the Zoloft. Um, but I also like my creativity levels and my um, zest for life and my just like overall motivation and like the execution of things just really fell through. But I was glad to not be crying all the time. And I was also right. glad to not be hospitalized. Listen, if it ignorance is bliss, sometimes you have to shut down parts of your brain just to survive. Okay. Yep. Okay. Um, sex. Should we just do a little five minute, yeah, little bit, yeah? Because walk us through. Because I think, who, women have been sold sold a message about sex. Men, <laughs> s- poor men who think that we're going to be anything like they've seen on Pornhub.com. I mean, I feel so bad for them in a sense. I don't feel bad for them. I feel b- I feel <laughs> bad that. No, actually, I'm choosing not to feel bad, okay? I'm choosing to take ownership of the narrative and just read as much as I can. There's an amazing book um, called Come As You Are. Have you heard of it? Yes. Yeah. Read that if you're a woman. Um, Mating in Captivity is another one Uh by Esther Perel that's really a good read um, if you're you know, a person, married. a person, actually. Yeah. A if person. you're a person and you're interested in a long-term relationship, that's a really mm-hmm. good one. And just kind of, it's interesting because like, <laughs> I had this conversation. Oh shit. I have a really important thing to share with you. It's not going to, it's, it's going to be fast, but I had this conversation with Alex the other day that really stuck with me. There was this post that went viral on TikTok about this girl. And she said like the hook at the intro was women shouldn't have sex with men who can't financially support them. And it was really triggering. But then she went on to explain it as like, if you can't trust your body and your entire life, basically if, if you can't trust someone with your life, like you should not be having sex with them. And the gravity of that, whoa! when you think about it, actually made me think, wait, that's not sex positive. But on the other hand, as women, don't we need to protect ourselves in ways and know that there are certain consequences, especially after Roe versus Wade is overturned, Mm -hmm. that can happen to you if you're pregnant? Yeah. I I just like got it sent me into this like duality mindset of like wanting to be sex positive and wanting to like have women take ownership of their sexualities, but then also being like, wait, We need to fucking educate women, obviously not to be abstinent, but to just like be aware. I don't know of the Mm -hmm. gravity of like what can happen if you, you know, share your body with someone. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember if this was just a high school article that came out from my high school or if it was like an actual news um, article. But for millennials, for you and I, for that godforsaken generation, we actually grew up at the start during the start of hookup culture where 
just fucking around with absolutely anybody. And it had the opposite effect where my friend Naomi, she's a sex therapist and she was on episode 10. She talks about this where all of a sudden there's this push right now for females like owning their power, being like, I can sleep with whoever I want and almost taking on that traditional male role. And it's like, we're going in such a far opposite direction that in order to be sex positive, you have to like love sex and want it all the time and just get your orgasm and go. Let me tell you, the one time I got my orgasm and go, I did not orgasm. I just went. (laughs) Yep. Yep. If you're sleeping with anybody anywhere just to say that you love sex and prove that you have power as a woman without being so careful about the person that you're sleeping with, it's like, Ooh, feels like I keep on saying this, but it feels like the same, like the other side of the same coin. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I told Alex, I was like, dude, I wish I would have thought that way in a sense when I was younger. Like I did a lot of stupid shit. I was like, Mm -hmm. that is literally why we all have HPV. Yeah. Yes. Because we were not thinking. And luckily I I think that the it comes down to privilege too. Like I was very privileged in the sense that I knew that. If something bad happened, like I could figure it out. Yeah, same. It, like I had a family, I had a support system, I had money. I was a you know white chick growing up in Minnesota. Like I was very privileged. So yeah, it makes you. It just makes you think. Like, what are we supposed to do as women? Are we supposed to be like yeah sexy? Are we not supposed to be sexy? Are we supposed to embrace our sexualities? Are we supposed to be careful that we're being too threatening or like too much for people to? I don't I don't I don't know. I don't know. It's the speech that America Ferreira gave in Barbie that kind of right. encompasses everything. It's like that's just the truth. There's no solutions for it, but yeah. it is what it is. Too much and too little at the same time. Do more, do less. Always. <laughs> I mean, my therapist the other day was like, what would it look like if you just stopped worrying about all of the things you think everybody wants you to be and you just were like yourself. And I was like, Nikki, that I don't have time for that. Okay. Like <laughs> I'm asking you how to be a digestible person. <laughs> I love I love that for you. I you're very digestible in my opinion. I fucking adore you. Oh my God. I fucking adore you. Quick thing. Are we relaunching the social media? Can you walk us through what people can expect? Where do I sign up? Tell me what to do with my brand quickly. <laughs> Help I, me. I will. So I have been thinking about relaunching social media, the course and revamping it just to be more up to date with like current trends. But in in reality, the class in general was about self-care. And that means that a lot of the concepts that I explored are evergreen. Like they're not going away, figuring out how to be kind to yourself and how to set boundaries for yourself and how to have a positive relationship with your soul so that you can share your art on social media and then then the negative sides of social media aren't so much of a barrier that they stop you from you know living your full potential and I just think that that is something that is more relevant now than ever before like I did a um, free seminar like promoting the class when it originally came out and I remembered like discussing the statistics of what I projected for the influencer marketing industry, mm-hmm. like the massive growth that I knew the industry was going to have in the next, let's see, four years. Whoa. <laughs> and it has exceeded that. It's exceeded that. The creators are making more money now than they've ever made before. And there's more opportunity than ever before. And because of that, there's more burnout and more mental health issues than ever before. <laughs> 
So we're back at ground zero. And also it's so oversaturated that I'm like, is there more opportunity or is it hard because there's so many people? Quick, if you do actually want to grow on social media and if you are interested in joining the social media course, what are some tips you have for up and coming creators? Like do's and don'ts. Okay. Do be extremely intentional about the type of content that you consume. Ask yourself, oh, this is great. I'm going to quote Sex in the City. Does it make you go, ah? Or does it make you go, Just, that's, <laughs> that's all you need. Just make mm-hmm. sure you're following content that fills your cup and protecting yourself from the content that does not make you feel inspired or that makes you feel shitty about yourself. Um, do trust your gut. Do trust your gut. Because at the end of the day, you know the answers. You know the answer. You're just fighting it. And society is making you second guess yourself. That is why so many people create such great work when they are high. Because you take off that that filter. Like Lady Gaga had literally wrote a lot of her songs high. Because you're literally removing the societal filter of your brain. So you're just accessing your truth. And that is not me promoting drugs on this podcast. That is just me like talking about how marijuana affects me personally. Is that why I wrote the letter to my younger self when I was feeling depressed? Like, is that why so many musicians come up with their best music when they're depressed? I'm not, I'm not, again, not promoting depression on this podcast. Yeah. However, sometimes the best work comes from like sort of those like darker places. I hate to say it. It does. And and you have to acknowledge that pain and suffering is a part of the human experience, right? And and yeah. I think that in relating to each other, that pain connects us and that experience connects us. So, I mean, we're all just going through this fucking floating rock in space or whatever, but really trying to make sense of our highs and our lows. And I think that when we are in the place where we can look back on our lows and say, this is what I learned from it. And this is how I grew that those people need to like go hold the hands of the people that are experiencing those lows. Right. And say, Mm -hmm. you're going to get through this and this is what you're going to learn. And so I think it's like my job when I'm in a good place to share my experience in those lows and in coming out of those lows uh, to give people hope. And that's what I want to do with my life is continue to give people hope in those moments of darkness and to know that that's part of the spectrum of being alive and to just like internalize the gratitude for that even though it's hard yeah I mean honestly there are times where you help me the most when you're in the middle of it like you're in the thick of it you're posting the crying like you're in it and I'm like okay it's okay that I'm there like sometimes when you're out of it I love that you do that and that is your presence. But what's so powerful about your presence on social media is the posting when you're in it. Thank you. Yeah. I'm still exploring. Yeah, I'm still exploring my relationship with social media. And um, in my period postpartum, I took a lot of steps back to guard myself emotionally and that hurt my engagement. (laughs) And in so doing, I got depressed. Surprise. (laughs) Yep. Surprise, surprise. And um, and now I'm just really trying to focus on um, quality over quantity. I think that there's so many programs out there, people out there saying you need consistency and you need to post X amount of times a week and you need to be present every single day. And it's just not attainable. And so to set boundaries where I'm like, okay, this day I'm off. 
this day I'm not available. I'm not commenting on this social issue today or because, <laughs> because I can't handle it. Mm-hmm. Protecting myself by limiting my use of the app is amazing. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's just I've been trying to figure out how to make the deepest impact that I can make and work the least amount. Yeah, that's so beyond fair, dude. (laughs) Also, you're just like trying to avoid burnout. You're one person doing a job of 10 people at minimum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're going to end here. If you could say one thing to your younger self, what in the darn tootin' would it be? And if your future self could say one thing to you now, what would it be? So I would say to my younger self, become a dog person. Because <laughs> I was a cat person. <laughs> that's and it. No, that's a mic drop. That's just it. That's Yeah, I don't yeah, need to explain that. Um, <laughs> and if you don't have a dog, go get one. You'll understand. So I was like a self-proclaimed cat lady my entire life. And so when I adopted my first dog, Lucy, I was like, I'm not sure this is going to work for me. And then I spiritually was moved to my core. Mm-hmm. I mean, I realized that the relationship that we all have with dogs is the relationship that we're too socialized not to have with ourselves. Like dogs are affirmation. Dogs are pure love. This is the most important thing you've said on this episode. Thanks. It's actually going to, it's actually going to be the title of my book when it comes out. You are you serious? Here, you heard it here first. <gasps> When are you coming out with a book? Oh, I've been writing it for years. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this will be what makes you famous, Quicks. Oh my God, finally! <laughs> so it's called it's called the the God Dog Palindrome. I'm about to say, did you know that God spelled backwards was dog? And you're like, I'm writing a book about it. It's pretty fun, but yeah, that was my like whole journey um, into kind of like discovering a different side of my spirituality and coming to terms with my relationship with myself. It's a there's a lot to unpack there, which we can hopefully dive into when I am on my press tour of my book that hasn't been finished yet, but will get finished. Holy shit. I am pre-ordering. I'm just going to tell you that right now. I'm so excited for you. Thanks. Um, there are other working titles, too. So if you don't see the God Dog Palindrome, it might be something else. Will there be a dog on the cover, though? Ooh. I don't know. No. I don't want to turn away cat people because I still have a lot of respect for cat people. Fine. You want to tra- you want to you want to turn them. You want to reel them in and then turn them. Maybe. Um, okay. So <laughs> my advice to myself currently from future self. Uh, <laughs> go get them, girl. That's it. Go get them, girl. Go get them, girl. Go fuck shit up, babe. Do you watch The Golden Bachelor? Every yeah. single one of them is just like. They're on another level of consciousness. And I'm like, man, we're just not there yet. Nope. My friend's actually on the show. Who? Leslie. Everybody go cheer her on. I will be rooting for her the whole season. Quigs, where can people find you? You should definitely find me on Instagram at officially quiddly and give me so many comments and likes so that I can sit here and get the dopamine hit from it. She's asking politely. Yes. So please, guys. So please support my mental health. <laughs> please support my mental health and deep desire for fame and a better relationship with myself for all exactly. the good and bad reasons. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love you. Thank you for coming on here and being so honest always. 
I try. I'm, I admire you and I'm so excited about what is next for you, babe. Same. I hope I become famous. Oh my God, me too. It would be about time. About fucking time. Love you, girl. (laughs) The year of virality. Okay, bye. (laughs) 